Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Today's message is Alter Ego Part 2 by Associate Pastor Mitch Rose. And, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Alter Ego. Alter Ego. We're in week two of that series, and I'm excited uh, to preach in that series. Get your Bible, put it in your hand, hold it close to your heart. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to ask the Lord to talk to you tonight. Listen, we got just a short time together, but I want our hearts to be changed. Lord Jesus, I'm in your presence tonight. I want to be changed tonight by your word. God, your word has the potential of changing my life, my destiny, my kids, my grandkids, our family tree can be changed by what lives inside of your word. So I pray your word would live inside of me tonight in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. Amen. Be seated. Listen quick and I'll talk quick. So we're talking about alter eagle. If you'll notice, this is not a grammatical error. We're actually talking about uh, what it means to lay our egos down at the altar. I hope you have a pen and paper. I want you to take notes tonight to lay our egos down at the altar of God. Now, if you're sort of new to this series or you're new to faith or Christianity, let me just give you a, a very quick um, synopsis of what we're, what we're meaning here. An altar in the Old Testament and in, and in most religious settings. An altar is this place. It's, it's usually a piece of furniture or something, somewhere that you would sacrifice something to God. Still, still that way, if you've heard that word sort of used in church culture. It is simply just a piece of furniture, specifically in the Bible, it was a piece of furniture that was found in the temple or the tabernacle where you would sacrifice something to God. You would lay something uh, on that piece of furniture as you were signifying you giving that, sacrificing that to God. So we're talking about laying down our egos. Now, very simply, your ego is not what you hate about your husband or your, your boss. Your ego, everybody's got one, just like your nose. Everybody has one of those. Everybody has an ego. It simply is what I think about myself. My ego, your ego, is what we think about ourselves. And so what we are going to do in this series, what we started last week, what we'll do for the next couple of weeks, is we're going to take what we think about ourselves, either too much or too little, and we're going to lay it on the altar and we're going to say, God, we don't want to know what we think about us. We want to know what you think about us. Say amen to that. I don't want my ego to be so inflated that God's looking at me going, no, 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 you're not that. But I also don't want my ego to be so low. I don't want your ego to be so low that you don't experience that all God has for you. There's a lot of people who can point out inflated egos in the room. If I were to give you the opportunity, you could probably point around the room at inflated egos, or at least people that you think had inflated egos, but it's a little bit harder to see deflated egos, people that don't think enough about themselves. Here's the problem with that. If you're not careful, you'll end up in this vicious ego cycle of, I can do anything, I can't do anything. I can do anything, I can't do anything. I'm not going to make it through this. I'm not strong enough. I'm too weak. I can handle anything. I can't do anything. And you'll go up and down with an inflated ego and a deflated ego. So we want to take all of that and we want to put it on the altar. We want to say, okay, God, you tell us who we are. You tell us what to do with who we are. And so that's what we started last week. Last week, we 
uh, decided in faith we were going to lay down our feelings of inadequacy. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. We're going to lay down our feelings of inadequacy, not being enough. And we said that God sees more in us than we think. And we said that God has given us more than we think. And we said that it's less about us than we think. We said that God sees more in us. Say, he sees more in me. I'm going to not give you snow cones if you don't participate. Say, he sees more in me. Yeah. It's less about me. And he's given me more. I'm not inadequate. You didn't have to say that part. God has given me more than I think he has. I don't have to walk around. You don't have to walk around feeling like we're not enough. Hey, listen. If you wait till you get good enough for, to, for God to, to pay attention to you, you will never get there. We cannot get good enough to get God's attention. Say amen to that. So he said we're going to lay aside our feelings of inadequacy. And then tonight, I love what we're talking about tonight. It's very... Uh, I'm going to talk to his family. He would say apropos. I don't even know what that word means. It means appropriate. It would be very appropriate that I'm talking about what we're talking about tonight. Because tonight we're going to talk about relinquishing and laying down on God's altar control. Control. Now don't punch your neighbor or your spouse in the chest and say, this is for you. (laughs) Because if you do that, you're probably the controlling one. We're going to talk about control. We're going to talk about laying down our need for control. Next week, it's going to be a great week. I've already seen the material for next week. We're going to talk about laying down our right to be offended. How many of you know people that get offended all the time at everything? Don't point. We're going to talk about laying that down. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about how it offends God when you get offended at everything. So we're going to lay down our need and our right to be offended and uh, we're going to talk about how to sort of get over that and what God really Uh, thinks about that. And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about uh, probably the most broadly helpful thing, uh, laying down our need for approval. Do you know somebody that always is seeking approval? You probably do. If you'll just follow their Instagram or Facebook, they're the ones with selfies all over. They need people to tell them how pretty they are, how, how good they are. How, that's, that's nice hair you got there today. That's, did you do something different? They need approval. And we're going to talk about laying down our need for approval. But tonight, let's dive in. We're going to talk about laying down my need, your need for control. How many of you will be honest with yourself and with God and say that in some area of your life, you like to be in control? Just raise your hand. Everybody does. Everybody likes to be in control of something. If nothing else, you know, your bladder or something. <laughs> Yeah, now you're waking up. Everybody likes to be in control of something. Everybody likes to be in control of something. If you know controlling people, would you raise your hand all over the house? Now listen, keep your hand up. If somebody besides you is trying to raise your hand up for you, this message is for them, okay? This is about people who are... Fighting for, always trying to be in control, my need for control. Everybody likes to control some area of your life. There are some people who are control freaks in in, in a lot of different areas that are different than what you're controlling in. There are some people, for example, that are very controlling at work. 
They like everything to be just right at work. You know, if something goes wrong at work, man, it just throws off their whole day and their desk has to be just right. Don't you hate people like that? Everything's got to be just perfect and it's got to go just the right way and they have to be in control of the situation at work. But then, listen, then when they get home, you know, they're not as in control at home. They're kind of laid back at home. They just, you know, they kind of check out. A lot of times you'll, some of you are saying, no, you don't. (laughs) That's not you. You'll see this sometimes really, really A-type leaders, you know, that are, that are very in control in the workplace, sort of, uh, when they go home, they don't want to be that. They don't want to make a decision. You know, if dad's a manager at work, he's always making decisions. If mom's a supervisor at work and all day long people are coming to her with problems, when you get home, I don't want to make no decisions. Don't ask me where we're going to eat. I don't care. I don't want, I've been making decisions all day. Say Amen. I don't care where we eat. If you make me care, I'm getting mad about what I have to care about. Other people are just the opposite. Work doesn't really mean much to them, you know. They're just, they're not in control of their schedule. They're late all the time. They leave early. They don't really know what in the world they're doing there anyway. How many of you love Seinfeld? Do you love Seinfeld? One of my favorites, four of you are going to catch this reference. Remember when George Costanza gets hired and he doesn't really know if he's hired or not? He just sort of goes to work all the time. Some people just sort of treat their job that way. They just think, man, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be here or not. But here I am. Hopefully I'll get paid. Then they go home and they're really in control at home. They're really in control in their finances or in their family or in a relationship. But, but, but at one area or another, everybody likes to be in control. Some of you are very controlling about your finances. You know, you need to know where every single penny goes. Some of you need to be more controlling in your finances and know where every single penny goes. Listen, some of you are controlling your children. Some of us have a trouble controlling our adult children and our grown children. Some people don't, don't control their kids at all. They let them run crazy and you think, what in the world? Get control, man. Your kids are, are, are wild, but it doesn't bother them. Have you ever been around parents like that? that their kids are, are literally ripping the paint off the walls, you know what I mean? And they're just eating chunks out of the carpet and they're just talking away and never see anything. And you're like, Psst. <laughs> That little convict of yours is over there right now tearing something up. Never phases them. Never phases them. Listen, in another area of their life, they may be very controlling, but it, with their kids, it just it doesn't show up that way. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just we all control in different areas of our life, but everybody wants to be in control in some area. Brandy, my wife, is to my left here. Brandy's really laid back. Believe this or not, when it comes to major life decisions that we make, and 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 she she has a wonderful. Really, sincerely, a wonderful trust in God, and she trusts me, and she just believes everything's going to work out, and, and we're going to make the right decision. She doesn't get uptight about it, and she, she really has a good grasp of that. She doesn't try to control that at all. However, when it comes to the kitchen, she has more laws than the Pharisees did about where I put stuff. We just moved this past weekend. I say we. I was out of town preaching. She moved this past weekend. I'm that husband, yeah. And so we, we, we sort of got everything squared away. My hand to God. I'm living out of boxes. I'm not certain this is my clothes right now. But our kitchen's all put together. Everything. Spices are in alphabetical order. So help me God. I don't care, man. As long as I can find what I want to eat. But in that area, 
There's control there. Doesn't doesn't affect me. Now I, I, I get controlling and and and, and think, man, I, I, we got to talk about you know this is a major decision buying a new car. And she's like, ah, whatever, that one, that one doesn't matter. But spices in the kitchen, <laughs> cereal boxes have to go a certain way. Is anybody else in here like this? Yeah, you're all weird. Everybody, she's not weird. You're not weird. Everybody's controlling in different areas. I am in control, men, of the remote control. There has to be one person that is anointed by God to handle that very spiritual practice. And it is the man of the house. All the men shout amen. Men have a unique spiritual gifting to watch 14 shows at one time. I'm watching all of them. I'm watching all of them. It's not really about what's on. It's about what might be on. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, what I'm missing. Some of you are in control. Nobody else in the house can do that. Nobody else in the house can change the channel. Or you flip out because you're in control of that. That's, that's, your, that's your time and... and and, and that's your thing. Here's what I know. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down very quickly. There are only two categories that everybody in this room tries to control. We either try to control people or we try to control circumstances. We either try to control people or we try to control circumstances. Everybody, under the sound of my voice, deals with either controlling someone else or something else. Someone else or something else. Controlling people or controlling circumstances. Some of you try to control people. You try to, somebody in your life, you know, there's one or two things about them that you just don't like. And so, you know, God, God has, uh, He loves people and He has a wonderful plan and you're just like God. You love people and have a wonderful plan for their lives that they ought to do. And you tell them how they ought to be living by your plan for their lives. Listen. Everybody is wanting to control something and some of us want to control people. And by doing that, listen close, by doing that you are actually manipulating relationships in your life. And there are people that are close to you that want to tell you, this is my life, not yours. So I decided to do it for them before they leave your house. Listen mom and dad, before they quit coming home at Thanksgiving and Christmas... Listen, before she walks out or he walks out and you wonder what happened, we had a good life, we had a good marriage, what went wrong? It could be that you have manipulated them so long to control them so long that at some point they say, this is enough. There are, I know people who bribe people. I know people who offer rewards to their kids or to other people. You're shaking your head because you know this is true. And, and, and these rewards, either giving or taking away of a reward, is about controlling them. If you do what I want, you get this. If you don't do what I want, I'll withhold this. It's a control issue. But some of you, without even knowing it, you, you, you manipulate the behavior of other people. They, they behave different when they're around you because you really believe that you know what's best. You really believe you know what's best for them. And so we want to control the people around us. It may be your coworkers. It may be your kids. It may be your grown kids. It may be your spouse. But we want to be in control of people. And then there's another camp that wants to be in control of circumstances. We want to look just right. 
We want to give the perception that, that everything in our life is perfect. Our house is perfect. Our kids are perfect. When they go out in public, we want to be the perfect representation in every single way. We want to control our, our, our schedules. We want to control our days. We want to control, listen, we want to control what people think about us. We want to control public perception of people. So we'll go on a PR campaign. Social media has given control freaks absolute authority and power to put up the image they want you to have of them. Because they're trying to control what you think about them without being authentic. Now, none of you do that. I'm talking about all the friends you have don't come to church. Y'all don't do that. But there are some people who control circumstances, who control circumstances around them. Everybody's schedule has to be on my schedule because I'm in control. Everybody's day has to be on my day because I'm controlling my circumstances. And so we either want to control people or we want to control circumstances. And here's why we want to be in control. Write this down. Put it big in your notes. I want to be in control because my ego is out of control. I want to be in control. You want to be in control because our egos are out of control. We really believe we know what's best. We really believe we know the right path for our circumstances, for people. We really believe that like God, we know the best plan for everybody and everything. And so we want to control everybody and everything in my life. Here's the problem with that. Listen close. You're not God. I'm not God. And so when I control people or circumstances, when my ego is so out of control that I'm in control, here's what Ken Blanchard, famous author, here's what he says. He says, when I have a problem with an out of control ego, E-G-O, it means edging God out. I'm edging God out of this situation and I'm in control. I'm edging God out of this circumstance and I'll affect the outcome. I'm edging and forcing God out. I'm not trusting God. I'm trusting my decision. I'm trusting what I know is best for us because I'm in control and my ego is edging God out of my life. And I meet people all the time and our pastors meet people all of the time in their 50s and 60s and 70s who wonder, how did everything fall apart? Where did this all go wrong? I didn't mean for sort of to get in this situation with this relationship and and a long-term marriage that didn't make it and kids that went crazy. And how did we get here? And most oftentimes, it's because our ego for 20 and 30 and 40 years got so inflated that we edged God out of helping us in our marriage and helping us raise our kids and helping us have solid careers and honoring God in our life. We edged Him out with our egos. And we started making decisions based on what we wanted to control. And the unfortunate thing about that is you have to live with the decisions you make when you're in control. I don't know about you, but I would rather live with God's plan for my life than I would anything I could come up with on my own. And so for those of you control freaks, i got to hurry. Don't clap too much. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 in the CFV. It says this, Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding 
And in some of your ways acknowledge God and then you will make your paths straight. In the controlled freak version it says <laughs> that you can just lean on your own understanding. You can just do whatever it is you want. You can acknowledge God sometimes usually when things are going your way. It's God's will. I always find it interesting when someone tells me that promotions are always God's will. Demotions are never God's will. Have you ever noticed that? When God may be trying to bring you out of this terrible job because he sees what's coming down the line. He he sees an illicit affair on on this job and so you lose this job and you get this other job and you get demoted and that wasn't God's will. But you get promoted to the corner office and she catches your eye and you end up in trouble in an affair, in an extra matter affair. And then suddenly it was God's will to give me this promotion. You understand? When sometimes God takes things away from us. And that's His will. But when you, do, when you lean on your own understanding, when you say, God, I'm going to do this. I, I, I'm going to make my own path straight. That's not what the Bible says. The New International Version says it like this. To trust in the Lord with All of your heart. Everybody say all of my heart. And lean not to my own understanding. But in all of my ways. Say all of my ways. I must submit to him. And he will work it out. Shout amen to that. He'll work it out. He'll work it out. He'll work it out. Here's the interesting thing about control. The more that you want to be in control... The more that you try to control, the more you fear losing control. And so, the more you fear losing control, you try to keep control. And this is a vicious cycle of fear in your life. I'm fearing that I'm out of control. And so I control more. And then I fear that I'm going to lose that more control. And so I control more. And this fear grips your heart. Some of you are paralyzed by fear And most of the time, it's the fear of being out of control. Let me be honest with you. Let me be transparent. In my life, the biggest fear I have is not being in control of the outcome. What if I do this and it's wrong? What if I go over there and it fails? What if I take this step and it doesn't work out? What I'm really saying is that my ego is so big that I think I could control my destiny. And so I'm edging God out of my decision when I should go to God and say, listen, I'm scared about the future, but I'm trusting you. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't have to know what's going to happen because you know what's going to happen and you're in control. Come on, somebody say amen to that. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you really quickly, I want to give you an example of control gone bad. Let me do it really quick. In the Old Testament there is a couple named Abram and Sarai. And if you've been around church for a while, you know those names. They're later changed to Abraham and Sarah. And they had a control problem. One time, uh, Abram was scared that Sarah was going to get into trouble and men were going to take advantage of her. And so he lied about who she was. He said, she's my sister. And she wasn't his sister. She was his wife. If you ever do that, that's weird. Don't ever do that. And, and then later on in their story, God promises Abram a son. Listen, God promises Abram a son. And he promises Sarai a son. And he says, I'm going to bless you. And you're going to be a father of many nations. And they're thinking, God, you don't know what you're talking about. And so Genesis 16 says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. But she started looking around at what she could control. 
And she found an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Everybody say Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Now, I could have swore he promised her children. Again, when he doesn't come through when I think he should, it must not be God's will, right? The Lord has kept me from having children. She's blaming God for all this. God's already promised her, but it's God's fault. Go sleep with my maidservant, perhaps. That's an odd thing to say. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, I know this sounds weird to you. Because there's no way in your life that you would tell your husband to go sleep with a house cleaner. You would tell your wife to go sleep with a gardener. But there's a lot of times in your life and my life when I take control when God doesn't show up when I think he should. And I start manipulating the outcomes. And I start saying, okay, God, you didn't show up. I thought you said you were going to do this and you didn't do that. So I'll take control and I'll do what I think is best. Now, two things I want you to catch from this story. Here's the first thing. Don't ever forget this about this particular passage of Scripture in this story. Number one, whatever you do, never, ever, ever sleep with a woman named Hagar. (laughs) Number two, don't ever forget number one. And Abraham (laughs) broke both of these rules. Sleeps with Hagar. And all hell breaks loose in his life. Hagar gives birth to a son named Ishmael. And and finally God comes through like he promised he would. And Sarah gives birth to Isaac. Ishmael is the father of Palestinians and and of Muhammad. And and Isaac is the father of Christianity. Uh, Isaac is the descendant, where Jesus is descended. And to this very day, to this day, there's fighting between Ishmael and Isaac because Abraham and Sarah had to be in control. Because I know better than God knows. I'll do it the way I think it ought to get done. God's not showing up fast enough. And so I'll take control. And Abraham and Sarah take control of their situation. And I know you're thinking, man, that would never happen to us. But it does. There's some single girls, some single guys in the room. that You you want a good godly man, but he ain't coming along. So you've just settled for a man. (laughs) Just a breathing man. Just a breathing woman. I can't find a godly one, I'll just get a, a, a one that's breathing, one that's alive. And two or three years down the road, you end up in pastor's office and your marriage is in shambles. Why? Because I was in control. Because God said he would give me a good husband, a good wife, a good spouse, but it wasn't soon enough. So I took control. And this is where we ended up. Some of you have that deal financially. You may be a follower of Jesus. But listen, you think you can control your money. And you say, I'm going to tithe when I want to. I'm going to not tithe when I want to. I'm in control of my money. And then you end up in financial trouble. And you go to God and go, where did this go wrong? And you go to Dave Ramsey. And you say, oh, I stopped tithing. And that's when everything fell apart. Now listen, I'm not telling you that everything's going to stay together if you tithe. I am going to tell you this, however. You're not in control. And when I take control, when you take control, then we take control of the outcomes. I would rather give God my finances and say, whatever you want to do, you know how to bless me better than I can ever come up with. Nobody would ever give their... 
They're made to their husband. But oftentimes we take control. Here's what I want you to write down in your notes. Where? Where and what am I trying to control? Write it big. Where and what am I trying to control? Where and what am I trying to control? Where is it? Who is it? Is it people? Is it children? Is it, is it my spouse? Is it my coworkers? Is it my image? Is it what people think about me? Where am I trying to control? Where am I trying? I want you to write it down. Everybody in the room, I want you to write it down. Some of you aren't writing because you're in control. I'm not doing that. Stupid. That's fine. Don't write it down. You're in control. Where and what am I in control of? Where am I dealing with control? What is it am I trying to control? Here's three simple questions. Listen, I've got ten minutes to preach to you. Here's three simple questions that I want you to run through your mind. Tonight and the rest of your life in dealing with the ego of control. Three questions. When you're faced with a decision, when you're faced with something that sort of just eats at you, you think, man, i got to control this. Man, the cereal boxes have to be lined up. Or... Man, how about your car? I, look, I'm confessing to you. I'm bad about this. How many of you don't like it when your wife drives your car and it comes back and it's filthy? There's goldfish... Not real goldfish. I have a toddler. Like the goldfish you eat, you know. Everywhere. I'm in control. Uh, Some of you men struggle with your yard. (laughs) Yeah? You won't let your kids go play in the backyard because it messes up, you know, and they're going to get a little brown spot. And and I'm in control. This is mine. Bless God, don't you ever. This is my new car. This is my yard. This is my thing. This is my stuff. What am I really trying to control? Now, here's the first question I want you to ask yourself. Is this really worth my concern? Let me say it differently. Does this really matter? Why am I trying to control something that doesn't matter? Luke 10 talks about Mary and Martha. And Martha, the Lord said, she's worried about stuff that shouldn't be worried about. Jesus is at their house and he says, Martha, you're worried and upset about stuff you shouldn't be upset about. Listen, how many of us are worried about stuff we shouldn't worry about? Men, women, listen, control freaks, listen to me. I know you're out there. You got to ask, yes, they are. You got to ask yourselves, yes, we are. Yeah. You got to ask yourselves, is this really worth my concern? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? Does this really, does it matter? Listen, here's what you have to ask yourself. Does it matter if somebody doesn't fold the towels just right? <laughs> Does anybody do that? Anybody have to go back and refold them? Yeah, you do. Back in the back, yeah. Does it really matter if your six-year-old son goes to school with a cow lick? Is that going to keep him from getting into Harvard? No. Now listen, don't let him look goofy. Don't do that. But some of you are so overbearing in your kids. And at 17, you want to know why he's got a pink mohawk. It could be because you didn't let him wear his cowlick. Just Some stuff just don't matter. Is it really my concern? Is it really my con- Does it really matter? You got to loosen up. I got to loosen up. Everybody ask the question, is it worth my concern? Say it out loud. Is it really worth my concern? Is it worth my time? Is it worth my effort? Second question. I'm, I'm hurrying. Second question. Is it even mine to control? 
Am I trying to control something that isn't mine to control? Am I trying to do something that I can't affect the outcome? Listen, if there's something you can do about it, do something about it. Surrendering control is not the same thing as relinquishing responsibility. Let me say that again. Surrendering control is not the same thing as relinquishing responsibility. If you don't pay your light bill and you say, ah, I don't want to control all that. <laughs> They're going to cut your lights off. That's not about surrendering control. That's not being responsible. If you mess up financially, you need to get on a budget. You need to get in Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. You need to cut up your credit cards. You can do something about that. If, you, if your marriage is messed up, you can do something about that. You can initiate counseling. You can, you, you, you can start doing a Bible reading plan together. You can have date nights. You can do something about it. Listen, guys, if you haven't been on a date in seven years... You need to be trusting God, but you probably also need to sell your Xbox and get out of your mama's basement and take a bath and brush your teeth and get a woman. You can do something about that. You can do something about that. This is not about relinquishing responsibility, but there are some things that are not mine to control. They do not matter in my life. I don't have the authority to control them. James says this. Now listen. You who say today or tomorrow will go to this city or that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. James says this. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. And you're planning a year. In other words, your Bible is saying you cannot control everything. Some stuff is not yours to control to begin with. Say amen. amen. Man, this is good teaching to me. I needed this. The third thing. You ask yourself, is it worth my concern? Is it mine to control? And finally, is this for God alone? Is this thing that I'm worried about, that I'm trying to control, does this belong to God alone? Listen to me. Look at me. If you'll run these three questions in every single decision in your life, every single relationship, every single decision on, on your job, every time you come to a point where you feel like you're losing control, if you'll always ask yourself, is this my concern? Is, this my, is it really worth my concern? Is it really worth me spending my time? Or is it even mine to control? Some of this doesn't even belong to me. Or is this for God alone? If you'll do that, if you'll run these three questions through your mind, I promise you, you'll be able to relinquish control and give it to God. Some stuff belongs to God. Some stuff is God's alone. Listen, Philippians says this, Pastor Randy. Philippians says this, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, don't be anxious about anything. How many of you will be honest and say that there are times in your life when you are anxious and worried about everything? <laughs> I am. I'm anxious. Your Bible says don't be anxious about anything, but in every single situation in your life, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, who do I go to? Come on, who do I go to? Who do I go to? 
When I try to handle it myself, I'm edging God out. But in every situation, I will not worry. I will not be anxious. I will not try to control. I'm going to go to God. And I'm going to do it three ways. I'm going to pray for somebody else. I'm going to petition for myself. And I'm going to raise my hands and say, God, if you do it or you don't, I'm still grateful for everything in my life. Now listen, listen, hang on, listen. When you do that, when this is how you live, when this is the believer's life, when I sacrifice my ego, my need for control on the altar of God, here's what happens. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. The problem, listen, the problem with worrying, the problem with control, the problem with controlling him or trying to control her or trying to control this situation, trying to control the outcome, trying to control my job, the problem with all of that is that it doesn't give me peace that passes understanding. I've seen people who lay their babies in caskets and they don't fall apart. Why? Because I don't have to control I don't have to understand why. I can trust God. And there's peace in their lives that passes. Listen, you're not supposed to understand how you bury your kids. Nobody's supposed to bury their kids. Nobody. But there's peace available for people who learn how to let God do what only God can do. Who learn how to not be anxious. But in everything, the peace of God guards my heart and my mind. In other words, when I can't control something, I'm anxious. But when I give it to God, I've got peace about it. How many of you would like to sleep? Let me, let me just ask you. The Holy Spirit is moving in the room. And I know we just got a couple of minutes. And let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to sleep with peace in your life? Without worrying. Come on. Without stressing over money and, and your kids and worrying about whether they're going to make it or if they're going to make it home or without worrying about your husband or your wife or relationships or without worrying about the job is it going to be there when tomorrow is it fragile man I would just like to go to sleep tonight and have peace how many of you want that in your life raise your hands listen the only way to get it is to sacrifice my need to control to sacrifice my need to control I can't control the future I can't control my kids' future. I can't control that. I can't control whether or not God heals somebody or He doesn't. I can't control what somebody else does. I can't control if my kids go crazy when they leave my house. I can't control if my spouse is cheating. I can't control. There's just some stuff I can't control. And you'll drive yourself crazy. Listen. Abraham. The control freak. Gets his promised son. And then God says, I want him back. God tells Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac. That's my promise. That's the boy that I was supposed to have. I messed up and I controlled and I had Ishmael. But Isaac, that's my boy. The Bible says, your Bible says, Genesis 22, Abram went over. After... God after God 
had required his son. God provided a ram and Abram looked over and in the thicket he saw a ram and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it. And so Abram called that place, I love this, the Lord will provide. Stand up all over the house. Listen to me. Listen. Two more minutes. Listen to me. Look at me. Listen. The only way you'll be able to name the season you're in, the Lord will provide, is if you trust that He will provide. If Abraham had tried to control the situation, he would have said, no, God, not Isaac. You can take Ishmael. You can take some of my other kids. You can take a daughter. You, can take, you can't have Isaac. You can't do that. That's not fair. That's not, I'm not doing it. Abraham took Isaac by the hand and marched him up the hill. Tears running down his face. He lifted up a knife. Why? Because God is in control. And when I let God be in control, provision always shows up. Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.